So tonight we're going to do it on revilings in proper domains. Now, I've never taught on this before. I'm really excited about it. It's something that I've thought on for a long time. In the idea that once you start doing deliverance, you seem to go from one extreme to the other. You go through your ignorant stage of, you're kidding, there's demons. Are these people serious? <laughs> I'm going to be casting them out. And you go from the ignorant stage to flipping over to the other mentality, and that's, well, I'll give them a piece of this, and you show your fists, and you show your guns, and, you know, you're just like, I've seen some really goofy stuff come out of the Christian community of where people have really crazy ideals about deliverance. So you have what I'm calling the authority that Jesus has given you to cast out demons. And I see people go under their authority and not use it, and I've seen people go over their authority and do stuff he never commissioned us to do. Both will get you in trouble. Another thing that's happening is people are writing a lot of books these days, and they're writing books on demons, and they have all kinds of ideas about them. And I'm not going to expose you to all the different beliefs that are out there these days, but you'll be scrambling for these notes going, where are those notes? I think Angie was talking about that, and I didn't catch that. I don't want to get you mixed up. And people have lots of theories. And, you know, the only way we can know is just looking into the Word. So I'm going to give you what I'm seeing laid out in the Word without confusing you with all these theories. But let me just tell you, a few years from now, you'll be scrambling from some of those notes because you'll be like, this book, is it right? And, y'all, there's a few things I'm not sure whether they're right or not. So I'm going to at least acquaint you with some subjects that are out there. Okay, I want you to look in Jude 6 through 9. Since it's only one chapter, there's no chapter. Jude's right before Revelation. Makes it easy to find it. Little single page book. Jude was the brother of Jesus. And the attitude I'm going against in the very beginning is that attitude of, I don't care who I tell off. And you kind of have this attitude as a Christian, wow, you know, I have authority over the devil. I can tell him off. And I hear people do different things in that area, and we're going to discuss something here because I think leaning either extreme can get you in trouble. And I've really never heard anyone talk on any of this, so we're going into new territory. And in the context of this passage is he's talking about people that have turned crazy into the world. They've gotten deep into sin. They've gone after strange flesh. He says these people are within the church. They've rejected authority, and they've gone crazy. And in this context, he tells you something very interesting here. And he says, the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment on the great day. So the angels had an abode or they had a domain or they had a section of authority they were supposed to stay in. But they left it. And because of that, they're going to be chained up or locked up for judgment on the great day. Likewise, also these dreamers, and he's referring to the people that are living the way they shouldn't, defile the flesh they reject authority and they speak evil of dignitaries so he's saying there's something wrong inside of people who we have no respect for human authority we're just like we'll tell them off you know and we call it not being afraid of man but really it's a it's a rebellion it's a rejection of proper authority so in doing deliverance the first thing i'm going to tell you is there's proper authority for deliverance and when people get out of their proper authority in casting out demons, they get off. Now notice what he says. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a reviling accusation against him. But he says, the Lord rebuke you. Now the point Jude is making is, Michael is the head archangel. Yeah. And he went up against the devil. There's a good chance that they were pretty well on equal ground as far as angelic authorities go. But it says he dared not bring reviles against the devil. But he used the authority. And when he said that, you know the dispute, what it was over was Moses had gone up on a mountain and he had died. Nobody knew where his body went. And the devil tried to snatch his body away. And Michael showed up and said, no, we get the body on this kingdom. So somehow there was some kind of legal dispute between the two of them of who got Moses' body. Moses' body is important because we know that Moses showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so some people believe that he will also be the two prophets that come back from the dead in Revelation. They're the two that will 
will stand up and rebuke the Antichrist and be in part of that. Some people think it's that because it's Moses and Elijah, and they were the two at Mount Transfiguration, which makes sense because of the law and the prophets. So there's a good chance that the body of Moses was really important to what's going to happen in history. We don't think about that. I think sometimes how we pictured God's sovereignty, we're just like, well, if it's God's, he gets it. You don't realize that sometimes there's some spiritual wars that go over legal dispute lines, that the kingdom of evil plays unfair. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of hidden meaning in this. There's a lot of research. There's a lot that I don't know that we'll ever fully know. But what I'm wanting you to get out of it is Jude's making a point. Why should men rebel against authority if even the angels themselves have a certain amount of respect? There's proper domains. Somehow we go from one day thinking, I don't have any authority. I didn't know as a Christian I have any, to thinking, I could tell the devil himself what to do. I get really tickled at that. And I'm looking at these people going, wow. I don't want to go either way. I heard a preacher say just this week, he said, man, I wish the devil had come to earth and I, God would make him appear and I'd beat him up. And I'm like, um, you need to read Jude. <laughs> you know, she's kind of like, I'm going to fist fight with the devil. And I'm like, a lot of times as college kids, we get so zealous that we go somewhere that we shouldn't go with it. Our domain of authority. In Matthew 13, 36 through 43, it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Have you ever had somebody that makes you so mad you wish you could just yank them out of the church? And you just think we could really help God out. You know, I was talking to a lady. She was like, you know, it's one of those times you just want to ask for forgiveness after you've done it. And you go to that thought, but, you know, Jesus was very clear with us when he said, the reason he doesn't take the tears out now is because if you yank up somebody that's causing problems, a lot of times they'll pull three or four good people along with them. Because they'll come out of the ground kicking and screaming, going, I can't believe as a Christian you treat me this way. And they don't tell all the facts, and they get it all messed up, and so when you yank that tear out of the ground... You lose three or four people that you did not even think would come up out of the ground too. And in this, Jesus makes a, he doesn't have much, I don't think, sympathy for the tares. But he makes the point, in the end, the angels will take care of the tares. They will gather them up into bundles and they'll burn them. And I don't think tares is talking about sticker grass here. I think it's talking about people. And so there's going to be a bad end for this. But what I'm seeing is there was a domain for angels. That the job of the angels at the end is to gather up everyone who's stumbling blocks in the kingdom. Wow. So we get out of our proper domain when we start getting into the flesh and start thinking, hey, you know, I'm going to handle it. I'm going to handle it in such a way that, you know, I'm going to burn them up myself. You can't step over his domain. If Jesus is truly your master and he's your teacher and he said, I came into the world to save the world, not to destroy it. Mm-hmm. We can't step over his domain. It seems like the only weapons he's really armed us with is just, you know, the prayer. We have authority. We have the ability to flee. We have the ability to confront. I'm big on confronting. I think that confronting a lot of times will settle something and bring peace, you know. But to go into a different domain causes a lot of problems. Part of your domain that you have as a human is that God commissioned you to have authority to subdue the earth. So the earth's not supposed to run away on us. The earth is not supposed to be where men work all day long and the ground is like brass to them and they can't make anything grow. That they work by the sweat of their brow and they get nothing from it. That's the curse. When a man works and he is not productive or successful, that's a curse. His curse was in production Our curse was in reproduction, that we would desire a man and then we would have a child and that all the pain of childbirth would come upon. So it's interesting that it's production and reproduction. Both is the authority we have in the earth that the curse came. Jesus said he came and he stopped the curse. So that's been broken off of us. But that's because the earth is our proper domain. And so many Christians don't realize you've been given authority to subdue the earth. That's your proper domain domain i had a philosophy professor here but i was only an auditor of the class and so he went into a long explanation if you ever heard him speak he'll very carefully choose each word and he says an auditor means auditory means ear 
So you listen. You don't speak. And he told me, you stayed within your domain. But the lady behind you <laughs> did not stay within her domain. She challenged him to his face, and, it, you know, she was an auditor. And by the time it was over with, he had called her down, he'd cut her off, he'd slammed her in her place. It was gruesome watching it while we all witnessed that she was in the wrong domain. <laughs> so I was going to tell you, as Christians, I don't want us to ever be doing it underneath where we're not doing our authority are going over where we stir stuff up in the spiritual realm. Okay, the difference between authority and revile. I think the best story that I can think of is, turn to 1 Kings 18.27. And I don't know if Elijah got into something he maybe shouldn't have, but when it came time where they were going to have the big showdown between heaven and the false prophets, they went first, and so they put out this big bonfire, and fire was supposed to come down from heaven, and so all the prophets of Baal did all their dancing and all their moves and everything, called fire down from heaven and no fire came. But in verse 27, verse Elijah started reviling the prophets of Baal. He started making fun of them. And he started saying, um, hey, is your God on vacation? <laughs> he'd laugh. <laughs> then he'd go, hey, is your God sleeping? And he'd laugh. And notice what it causes to happen in the demonic kingdom. They started slashing their wrists and gashing themselves. You know, you can stir somebody's demons up. You can revolve. And you can get them doing stuff that's crazy. And so it went from a challenge to a bloodbath. I mean, literally, these people were doing everything in their power. Of course, Elijah steps out there, calls fire down from heaven. But what was funny, he had actually poured quite a bit of water over his sacrifice. I was thinking during a drought, that was a lot of water, barrels of water. And that wet wood just was consumed in a fire. So the showdown won. I've noticed when people do that kind of reviling that a lot of times they'll pay for it the next day. And uh, one woman had the power to make Elijah go crazy and quit the ministry. You know, he was hiding in the cave saying, I want to die. And I think sometimes we stir demons up and we don't even realize what we've done. I was thinking about me with this cow. Farmers... We'll talk about sometimes at an auction you'll buy a bad cow and it's called a crazy-eyed cow. And, I mean, you look them in the eye and they're crazy-eyed. I mean, their eyes are crazy. You can tell there's something not quite right with this cow. I know you all know people and you're just like, something's not right with this heifer. <laughs> something's not right with this cow. You're looking at them they're not quite right. So I decided to have a little fun with her. Dad was going to ship her off to the auction, try to get rid of her, hope someone would eat her, you know, sell her for eating to get rid of her, someone had sold him for a breeding cow. My gosh, the cow was literally crazy. So I went up to the cow, and I decided to mess with it a little bit. And I looked at its eyes, and I said, you know you're crazy, and I know you're crazy. And I started talking to it. I didn't yell. I didn't whatever. And that cow looked at me, and it was more than a cow looking back at me. And so I told it, I said, you know what? You can't get to me because I'm behind still bars, but I think the devil lives inside of you. And I talked so sweet, I used a Becca voice, but there was a lot behind <laughs> what I was saying in my sweet little southern maple syrup dripping accent that, uh, <laughs> that was a little bit more than regular. It was real funny with that cow. That cow looked like it would kill me if it could get out. But I'm like, now first of all, cow doesn't understand English, but I'm provoking this cow. And why does that cow not think I'm just using sweet words with it and calming it down and making it gentle? Because you can sweet talk this cow and get it calmed down, but it knew I was tormenting it, and it sure wasn't my tone of voice. So I kept up telling that cow quite a bit of stuff, just seeing if I thought that that cow had legion in it. And sure enough, when Dad got through the gate, one of us was supposed to open one gate, and that meant the cow went to freedom, and the other one, it went to the butcher. And I thought, wow, this is like heaven and hell, the sheep and the goats. <laughs> you do the gate backwards and forth. And that cow, when we were going to put it towards the butcher, it rammed. And when it rammed so hard, it knocked the person over that was doing the gate. And the cow charged out, ran past all the other people, and came straight for me. Well, of course, I'm running like this, like crazy. My arms are going like this. And I'm like, I've started trouble with her. And she did not like what I said in that pen. Well, my dad had built a pen made out of metal sheets that were so tall that no cow could jump out of that corral. It was a coliseum of metal straight up in the air. Of course, that also meant no human could jump out 
of that corral. So with that cow chasing me, it's not like in the rodeo days where you throw yourself over a fence and you're safe. That cow, it was just a matter of where it was going to pin me down. And everybody's just standing there stunned. Well, thank goodness I'd listened to James Dobson speak that day, and literally his voice said to me, you know what? God made that padded area just right back on the back of a child. It's not going to hurt that child because it's going to be in that padded area. So as that cow's about to take me in and just hit me right in the gut, I just hear Dr. Dobson tell me, turn my little padded area towards that cow. So I'm jumping up, <laughs> if you can imagine. I'm jumping, trying to reach the top of the, but I can't reach it as high as I'm, as scared as I was. I was shocked I couldn't reach it. So I'm jumping up, and so sure enough, when I jumped, that cow caught my padded area, and it took me, and it was ramming me into the metal. But, you know, it didn't hurt. Dobson was right, that little padded area, <laughs> that hard-headed cow. She took her whole fury out on me, and several people were ready to help me. My dad was one of them, and as that cow was taking me and butting me, I, I was really quite tickled at myself because I'm like, that was a demon I was talking to. <laughs> that cow is crazy. But my dad hadn't heard Dr. Dobson speak that day. So when that cow went after him instead of me, dad didn't turn his little padded area towards that cow. <laughs> and my dad got it straight, head on. <laughs> Not in his little padded area. He was front end. You get whammed by that crazy owl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a visual. So First Kings 18.27. But <laughs> I think that sometimes there's a difference between using your authority and reviling. And a lot of what we're doing is we're reviling, thinking we're invincible. I'm bulletproof. I can do this. You know, different people have shared testimonies in these, and none are too pleasant, but this little boy was running his lawnmower down the road, and he had the blade going, and so there was a guy underneath his car working, and so as the little boy was going to mow the neighbor's lawn, and he pushed the lawnmower, all the rocks were flying out from underneath it. What hit the guy underneath the car, you can imagine, as he went down the road. Well, that guy came out, and dead was just watching what happened and that guy came out and he was using God's name in vain like crazy and he was going to kill that little kid. That little kid was running. He ran, I think he ran straight into my dad. My dad looked at the man and said, uh, what do you plan to do with my son, sir? Of course, dad never met the boy in his life, but he thought, I better take possession of the kid or he's over. I mean, the guy's rage was over the top. And so he kept GD and the boy over and over and over. And dad said he did something that's not biblical. But he said, I return those curses on you. And so the next time the guy GD'd, Dad says, I return that curse back to you. Where it came from, I think. And when he did, the guy went loco. And Dad said the next thing he knew, he ran for his house. And Dad said it was like one of those comic books. The guy beat up everything in his house. I mean, he just you could hear the house. He was crashing everything in his house. When those curses turned back on him, it made him crazy. And Dad said he repented, he repented for what he did to that guy. Because there's nowhere in the Bible that says if someone curses you, we're not supposed to return their curses. Dad didn't curse him. He didn't use his words. He just said, you know, he was like, I return them back. You know, that's, those are the words he used. I return those curses back on you, sir. That's why the Bible says bless and don't curse. Because people are full of curses. And we can't handle the cursing. So where I'm challenging you is there's a difference between having authority and reviling. And too often people are calling it authority of the believer. And I'm looking at them going, you're, you're doing like what I did, that crazy-eyed cow. But you're doing it with the demonic kingdom. You're messing with people's lives. You're not using authority. Another area that we revolve is carnal weapons versus spiritual weapons. And that's where we have a spiritual attack come against us and we use carnal weapons. Where somebody comes against us and it makes us mad, so we go to the natural realm. And I think that's a type of reviling also. When, as a Christian, you pick up natural weapons and you're going to get natural results. I had a policeman, he was a Christian, tell me that until I cuss at a criminal, he doesn't take me seriously. And I was just like, well, you sure are sticking at a low level. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's a difference between meeting power for power of who can outcuss each other versus stepping into authority. Mm-hmm. For some reason, as humans, we're sinking to the level of the demons. Or, you just can't fight Satan with the same things that he fights you with. Yeah, and it's you know, that's really elementary, but we're finding people doing it. Right, yeah. Just 
speak the word and use the authority in Jesus' name. <laughs> As a Christian, you pick up natural weapons and you're going to get natural results. Okay, so I'm going to give you the example where I'm going to say, let me give you the only example you should follow in Scripture, the best example, the highest, the, the epitome. I want you to look in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. If you look at this, this is the most powerful example of authority to authority. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate authority. He is God. He's divine. And he's going against the highest rank. This does not say he was dealing with the demon here. He was dealing with the devil himself. (laughs) And so after fasting 40 days, 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, turn these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, or it's further written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And the devil said, I will give this to you if you bow down and you worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is your strongest verse in your Bible for not having a smarty or an arrogant attitude in spiritual warfare. And so now that I'm telling you, I want you to think it through. If anybody could have smarted off, it's right here. Jesus, he didn't have a smart off attitude with him and say, my daddy is bigger than your daddy. You know, I'm God. Who do you think you are? I don't have to listen to you. He didn't say, get away from me. You're nothing. You're a peon. You're stupid. None of that stuff. You don't see that. Do you see that God himself, who made this angel who has fallen, showed respect to the angel? Respect to an enemy. Took him seriously. Fought him with the only sword that's been handed to you, and that's the word of God. And so when I see people doing it other than this, I think it's that thing of where they're trying to be above their master that, wow, you think you're more loaded than Jesus? Well, I want to see the proof of that in your deliverance ministry. Are they coming out with a word? You know, he used the word of God to combat the devil. Jesus was answering using verses like Deuteronomy 6.16 against him. Yet Christians all the time get into habits of calling the devil stupid, calling him names. Some cuss at him. And I'm looking at him going, wow, you're reviling authority. You don't see Jesus cussing at him. You don't see Jesus calling him stupid or berating him. You don't see any of this stuff happening here. You know, you look at Elijah, and he was just reviling prophets of Baal. Just Those were just, you know, witch doctors. They were just the pagan sorcerers, you know, the prophets in the kingdom. They were men with demons in them. This is Satan himself. And you don't see Jesus messing around at all. Because I think we somehow take a spiritual battle and make it a carnal battle. And if you're into that, then you're not really fighting God's battles. You're not doing the kingdom. You're playing around and you're doing your own stuff. And you have left the realm of what honestly gives you authority, and that's the powerful name of Jesus. You don't see Jesus saying stupid stuff. We had some kids, and they called me down to Vita, and they got a demon that... Literally, they had a girl that they played around with, and I couldn't believe this. I didn't even know this girl cussed. She was one of our real sweet girls and had come from a good Christian home. And and there was another girl, and, you know, they were all going to do deliverance on this girl. And they put her in a catatonic state. They couldn't get her out for three or four days. But I said, what did y'all do? Why did y'all? I mean, you cast out the demon instead of the demon leaving. You've got this girl where she's not moving. Well, they got to having fun with the demons. They started cussing at the demons. And it would make the girl crazy, and they were watching her get crazy. And by the time they were over with, they were like, Angie, come help us. And I couldn't imagine, why, how can you have a deliverance go wrong? I mean, like, what were y'all doing? <laughs> I was like, it was cussing at the demons, you know? And I was like, I, I really have a hard time understanding why people say stuff that's not in the Bible. 
You know, I'm always trying to go as close to the Bible as I can come to deliver. That's why I get tickled at people persecuting me. I'm like, y'all are doing goofy stuff. You know, I'm like, stick to the Bible. You know, don't don't get into... There's bizarre doctrines out there of what to do with demons. And they tell him where he's supposed to go and what they hope will happen to him. And I'm just like, keep it clean. Keep it very clean. Because the best role model that you have here is Jesus taking a very serious approach to the devil. I mean, the minute he showed up, he could say, I don't have to deal with you, I'm just greater than you are. But he actually took three consecutive attacks by the devil, and he did the one thing that you can do. Isn't it interesting that Jesus took man's words and treated them as if they're God's words? I mean, if you don't understand the word of God is inspired and holy, look at the fact that Jesus is quoting Moses as the word of God. So how Jesus feels about the Word of God is how we should feel about the Word of God. You know, we got the inerrancy of the Scripture right here being validified that when Jesus was in battle, he didn't say, I say to you. He says, it is written. It is written. There is no higher honor here than God saying to you, it is written. It is written. The devil quotes the Bible too. You'll have people try to twist off Scriptures on you. And he just goes, it's further written. He didn't say, how dare you have that kind of the Bible in your lips? How dare you quote a scripture? Y'all, you're going to see all kinds of things happen in deliverance. You can be a weirdo and get obsessed with it and start interviewing them and write down information as if the devil's giving you information. I'm like, kind of keep it like the Bible. But use your authority and move it out. You know, Jesus a lot of times cared enough about the individual that he'd say, come out of him and don't torment him anymore or don't tear his body. You know, a lot of times you'll see the person going through deliverance and you literally see it, it's ripping them up, coming out. Can you imagine in that setting that our kids started going, tormenting the devil because they enjoyed it, seeing how it made the person... You know, deliverance is compassion. And if you're doing it for the fun of what you get out of it, it's only when you've done deliverance can you understand Jesus saying... Hey, don't be all giddy over deliverance. Rejoice that, you know, eternally that we're written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The reason he was saying that was people go from not even being able to have authority to being really goofy with it. And so what I'm seeing here is the proper domains. The way Jesus handled him, he did not revile. He did not belittle the devil. He did not cuss at the devil, nor did he ignore the devil. Some people are so spiritual wild. They said, if it's the devil come to me, I just ignore him. I go, really, that's spiritual? Wow, you're better than Jesus because he didn't ignore him. He did the only thing the Bible says, resist. You can't find me a verse in the Bible that tells you ignore the devil because you have more authority. People go, I'm a child of God, I have more authority. Really? So that makes you be able to ignore. I don't see that verse. It says resist. Submit to God. Resist the devil. That's the pattern every single time. It's really arrogance on our part because we're starting to elevate ourselves to be above our master. We have been given authority, but you haven't become the expert. (laughs) So you're not improving on Jesus. (laughs) We're not in this enlightened generation that all this teaching has gotten us further along. What we're delving into is trying to do what Jesus said, do the same things I did and even greater. But you just don't see that antagonistic thing in Jesus here. All you see with him is compassion compassion when they started tearing at the person he used his authority to get it out of them quicker so it wouldn't wreck the person he wasn't playing with them at all okay proper domains with angels where's our dominion with angels i've seen a lot of teaching go around where people command angels you know they lose a ring they're commanding their angel to find <laughs> their angel may deck them one day but jesus in matthew twenty six fifty three, if anybody could have gotten away with commanding angels it could have been jesus but Look up Matthew 26, 53. When he tells you, he doesn't say, I could command angels to come down and you couldn't kill me. That's not what he said. He said, I could appeal to the Father. And he would send his angels. And he says, you're not going to take my life away from me. I'll lay it down. Because otherwise I could appeal to the Father and he would send his angels. You look at that, that's a lot of firepower. When you look at how many legions did he say? Twelve legions? Yeah, 6,000 in a legion. But look at Jesus. He did not go directly to commanding angels. You appeal to your father, and he commissioned. They're not your servants. They're his. 
I don't know how as a believer we've managed to go from didn't know we had authority to thinking the angels have to do what we tell them to do. I think it's a little bit arrogant, and I think we're outside of our domain. Some of it's ignorance. But I would just say, if Jesus didn't take that authority, I don't think there's any words in there by accident. I think he meant it when he said, I appeal to my Father, and he would send his angels. You know, it says, you mess with a child or a new one in the faith, the only time you'll see me get really angry with you, and that's when I try to pull the wheat from the tares, you mess with a new person coming to Bible study, someone hungry. And that's where Jesus said that, At all times, the angels are watching the face of the Father. And if a new one's being messed with, immediately they're commissioned to go take care of that. Because their job is guard. That's where we come up with those ideas. Okay. Yeah. I would use it how he did it. Because people get into really kind of ridiculous things. And the other day I was like, I needed angelic help. I had a mess. But I said, Lord, I appeal to you. And I'm asking you, would you send help to me in this area. So, I mean, I'm not ignoring the fact that we've been given that. I'm appealing to my Father, but I'm staying in proper authority with my Father. I'm saying, Heavenly Father, I'm appealing to you. I need help in this area. I feel like that I'm in a battle that's not just flesh and blood battle. I feel like I've got entities coming against me trying to take me out. And so I appeal to him. You know, you see in Daniel, the prayer idea, that it said that, I think Daniel was like, boy, it took you a long time, three Three weeks. weeks, And he said, from the moment you prayed, God sent me to do this. And it's taken me three weeks of fighting. I think somehow we've kind of gotten a, a mentality of the difference between magic or maybe authority and control. That God is working within those same guidelines. I mean, that Jude scripture is really odd to me that God would want the body of Moses and Michael would have to contend with the devil for the body of Moses. I didn't know that God had to contend with anybody. <laughs> but somehow in the way that he set this kingdom up of giving us free will where we're not robots and the angels, however their will systems worked out, I've never quite figured out how I thought that's worked out. He still doesn't make a robot out of them. There's still some elements of choice or factors that go into it. If God respects free will, then I'm saying as believers, you need to respect free will. You know, you may get mad at somebody and you may try to have authority over their will. Or people do that like in love stuff. You know, like, you know, the psychics, you know, so much of this stuff that people are getting into now is they're they're putting love potions together to make someone fall in love with them. Or they're trying to have some kind of authority over somebody else's will. That really is witchcraft. Because we're not made to have control over another human will. We have influence. We confront them. We speak truth to them. But ultimately, only the Holy Spirit has the ability to take a hard heart and make it pliable. And when we use it for our own personal reason to try to manipulate people, you look in a church and you find a lot of manipulative people. And they can be intercessors, but they're into that stuff of manipulation. I'm just like, wow, you're of the wrong spirit. You came in with the grace and the freedom. You know, don't turn it into that. And these are where I've seen the abuses go. And that's what I told you I was going to try to do with you on Sunday night. I don't want you to be an ignorant, but I don't want you getting out of your domain. You know what I would say to you? Our boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. You know that verse? Have you ever heard that where he cried out, Oh, my boundaries have fallen in pleasant places. Yeah. You know, sometimes I walk over the land I've been given, and I say, Oh, the boundaries have fallen in pleasant places. I have the big, beautiful trees. I have the creek. I have the streams. What God has given me, he's given me boundary lines in pleasant places. I have a dominion over this earth. I have dominion over certain portions of the kingdom. I've been given dominion and authority where the devil can't take my life and wreck me with circumstances. I have the ability when a tornado is coming towards this school to use my authority and resist that tornado. It's pleasant places. But you don't need to get into something that's of the wrong kingdom. Okay, so with authority, the way that Jesus handled him is also think about Jesus didn't put up with the devil. I like the fact that in Matthew 14, after three temptations, Jesus said, Be gone, Satan. <laughs> Be gone. <laughs> it was enough. Be gone. And so I'm also telling you, you have authority. My mom always said it this way, How come the devil always got me up in the middle of the night to fight with me? You know when you talk to people that are oppressed by the devil? A lot of times it's 
they lose a lot of sleep or they go crazy. And the devil's always calling the shot. She said she realized she had gotten a lot uh, when you read her book, her testimony, Getting Free. She got a lot better when she told the devil, look, I've had enough of this, months of this. She said, I'll meet you in the morning. I'll meet you at this time. And she made the warfare, instead of being on his terms, of always hitting her at a bad time, she was like, no, I'm going to choose the time that I confront you. I see this with Jesus here. He didn't put up with him. There's nothing in you that you have to put up with the devil. You have been given authority over him. How it says it in Lucas, then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God only and serve him. All right. What happens when the devil's barring your best friend's mouth? Or barring your roommate's mouth? Or you look at that person and go, That's not that person. That's the devil. You look in Matthew 16, 23, And Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. So you see Jesus addressing the devil. Not the human man, not the human will, but the driving spirit behind it. Yeah, I bet Peter had a hard time recovering from that one. I mean, just ten verses before he had... (laughs) Ten verses before, excuse me. uh, That Jesus said upon this foundation of you confessing me as Lord that... You are the Lord. He said, upon that foundation, I don't think he was... He was building his church on the Lordship, that Peter recognized the Lordship. That you see, ten verses before, he goes, Peter, who could have revealed this to you? This had to be God. That shows that within ten minutes, you can be hearing God for ten minutes, and ten minutes later, you're hearing the devil. (laughs) You're speaking something no one else has figured out, and then ten minutes later, you're like, I feel like, oh my gosh, where did they come up with that theory? Okay, realize that there's entities at work, and they try to use us as players. The devil does not respect authority. He comes in uninvited. He comes into children. He plays unfair. The devil does not keep proper domains. He's constantly trying to trespass. I heard, you know, over you, they were saying, hey, you've tried to come into property, you know, that you're trespassing. You see the devil. It's a sign of of the devil if you're out from under a proper domain, if you're doing it improperly. Okay, authority praying, praying with authority. You see in Acts 19, 14, the seven sons of Sceva. Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? You know, sometimes in deliverance you hear this wimpy little voice. You know, or people casting out demons, they're going, if there's anybody in there, I want you to get out right now. (laughs) Just a real little wimpy voice. (laughs) It's right before your clothes get knocked off of you. Yeah. Okay, now look at this. Proper domains with demons. What is our domain with the demon kingdom? Mark three fourteen and 15. I love this verse. Then he appointed the twelve that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. So it tells you exactly what he wanted out of the twelve. He wanted the ability to have these disciples being with him to have authority to heal diseases and to cast out demons. Part of your authority is to be able to heal diseases. Now, notice this. I don't know if you've seen this in this verse. Being with Jesus comes before receiving the authority to cast out demons. Notice what it says. Then he appointed the twelve that they might be with him. And they might have authority. You remember when it didn't work? He sent them back to have prayer and fasting. More time with the Lord. I love how this verse is written. Then he appointed the twelve that they might be with him. And then he might send them out. You've got to have time with him. And then it gives you the authority. It's intimacy. You can't break that chain between him, you know, abiding in the vine. Apart from me, you can't do anything. So you're seeing the beauty here, that proper domain with demons. That it's being in Christ. After being with him, then you receive your authority to cast out demons. In order to cast out demons, we must first be with him. Okay, now I've heard some objections. I'm going to clear up just a couple of them. You have authority over demons, but not over Satan. I've heard that. I've heard uh, you have authority over Satan, but not power over Satan. So they'll make a big differentiation between the word. You have authority over Satan, but not power over him. I've heard some different things. Luke 10, 18 would be the verse that I would say, study this out. It's the only thing I could find that that I've found yet to answer. I'm sure there's others I just haven't found. You remember the disciples came back and they had found out they had authority to cast out demons. And they were delighted. You know, they're coming in, they've had, they have, I bet they had a thousand testimonies of great deliverances that happened. And it's interesting, it says in verse 19, and then Jesus said, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning, and he fell out of the sky. 
So what I would say is, did man taking his rightful authority over demons cause more victory? Did man suddenly on the earth going out and casting out demons cause Satan to fall from heaven like lightning? If Jesus is describing a present tense, y'all were casting out demons for the first time on earth, man got his authority back, instead of letting the snake rule the garden, man actually used his authority, cast the devil out, and that caused Satan to fall from heaven like lightning. And he fell out of a realm of terrestrial warfare is what they call it. Like Satan has roaming power on the earth. He's prince of the power of the air. So when we started casting out demons, did it cause him to drop a level? That our authority, you don't know, but it's, it's a great context. They're all excited they have authority. And Jesus goes, yeah, while you were watching demons come out, I was watching Satan's power. He toppled out of his throne. Wow. He fell. Man, finally got back what we were supposed to be doing in that garden to begin with. We toppled him out of there. And it's in that context that this next verse happens. So keep that in mind. They've cast out demons. Jesus says, yeah, Satan took a dump or a tumble. (laughs) (laughs) That will be edited. That might be reviling a little bit. Take a dump. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> Satan took a tumble <laughs> off of his throne. Wow, wow, wow. Good, Josh. Good call on that one. Okay. <laughs> I got one serious person over here. Okay, in Luke 18, you see the authority. Luke 19, you see Satan falling from heaven. <laughs> and then you see 19, the famous verse Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. And just so people can come back later and say, oh, serpents and scorpions is figurative, it's not mean what we think it is, and over all the power of the enemy. So that gives you the thing that I'm saying over all the power of the enemy, it's not just power over the demons. I'm saying you've got two ideas on this. Jesus went head to head with the devil, and the word gave him authority over the devil. So I don't buy that. I think right here we're looking at second witness here that behold I give you authority to trample. That means underneath your feet serpents and scorpions and I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. I love the verse and nothing by any means shall hurt you. So that's a very good harm protection clause. Right here that you can do deliverance without having repercussions on you or coming back on you or you know that right here he's saying I'm giving you authority You'll go into their territory. They won't be able to come out like bees and get you back. But you've got to know your authority here. Now, as far as answering the question, do we have power over the devil, authority? I'm like, what do you mean by that? I don't know. Are they mean me power like, like I'm, I'm stronger physically than the devil? Is that what they're meaning by power? I don't know. But look at how this verse is worded. I think it gives us all we need. But I give you authority over the devil's power. So no matter what that they're trying to split those two words for, what does it matter? I have authority over his power. So the devil has a lot of power. I'm not going to diminish his power. You know, it says he's like a roaring lion and he devours them. I mean, if you've ever seen him take a person apart, I mean, I've seen a lot just get eaten right before your eyes and you're just like, oh, that was gruesome. A lot of power there, almost where you don't think you can get them out of their clutches. And he's telling you, I'm giving you 40 over the power of the enemy. At that point, I'm telling you, your, your little boy David, you can go in and get that sheep out of the lion's mouth. Yeah. You've got the authority to do it. Okay, that would be my answer to that. So on terrestrial warfare, people get into this. This is some of that stuff I was talking about. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures on that. The devil seems to have layers. Ephesians 6.12, your fight is not flesh and blood. If you're fighting with a person... You haven't got it worked out that it's against principalities, powers, authorities. And it gives you a ranking system here. It's like a hierarchy. Paul works it down. Spirits that inhabit humans, principalities. The book that I was referring to, a lot of times intercessors will start praying against principalities over a certain region. So a friend of mine had been going through a really hard time, and she decided I probably had violated my domain and had gotten into some warfare of intercession that I had gotten all this stuff coming against me. And I didn't really bear witness with it, so I had never done that kind of warfare. But I think tonight I kind of have my answer, and I would give you that Luke ten nineteen, Since it says you have authority to trample on scorpions and serpents, in other words, 
they're small and you can step on them. But it says that I've also given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Then the principalities are under that dominion. Satan is even higher up than even those dominions or principalities. So should I need it or should I, you know, whatever? I'm going to just tell you, you've been given authority. It, you know, I'm telling you, respect your adversary in the sense of, I'm not saying respect in a good way, but just take him seriously. It's not a time for silliness, but at the same time, I don't think he held anything back from you, the Lord, when he defeated him. And a lot of what we're doing is praying, Thy will be done on earth as it is to heaven. And you're bringing heaven down into earth, and we're taking back those those kingdoms. So I'm not going to make a strong stand on how I feel of whether you should do it from the sense of biblical precedent. I don't know. You may could give me one. But I am going to tell you from an authority precedent, if Jesus could look at the devil, and that wasn't a demon talking to him, that was the devil talking to him, and the word of God defeating, then I'm telling you there's not one thing in your life you can ever face. Principalities, powers, heavenly, in the heavenlies where the Satan, you know, as well as the prince power of air, the word of God will bring it down. Authority of the name of Jesus. I like that thing where you said that you can't cast him out by using cuss words because it's almost like trying to cast him out by using something. Their language. You know, yeah. and, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, if I, you know, use their tactics, you know, against them and that it works, but, you know, just it doesn't. <laughs> You're going to that carnal realm. Yeah. Yeah, of pride. Yeah, almost. I just stick with the word. You know. Uh-huh. I felt like that the book put a lot of fear in people, and I didn't like it. I didn't like what the book did to us. I'm just saying, concentrate on your weapon. You have a weapon that is sharper than any other weapon, and that's the Word of God. Take it very seriously when you pull that trigger. Look in Luke 11:14, And he was casting out a demon which was dumb. And it came to pass, when the demon was gone, the dumb man spoke, and the crowd Marveled. In other words, he cast the demon out of a mute man, and suddenly the guy could speak. And notice what it says next. And it was upon this occasion that the Lord Jesus, in answer to the charges of the Pharisees, how can one enter into the house of the strong man, except he first bind the strong man, and then he'll be able to spoil the house? So right there I'm seeing a hierarchy situation. Whatever he means by strong man. There's lots of theories, lots of stuff out there. But you're seeing ranking systems here. Bind the strong man. That seems to encourage you to go after the bigger one. Spirit's more wicked. Remember when the spirit leaves the man, he comes back, and he brings back spirits that are more wicked than the one that left? So that means not all demons are equal. There's some that just seem to have a tighter hole or have more of a demonic plan to them. You know, you'll have some of them, and they're just, they'll do mischief in people's lives. They'll cause them, but there's some that literally... They're wicked spirits. You know, you'll hear him in the Bible call them unclean or foul or wicked spirits. Those adjectives are okay. Come out, you foul spirit, you unclean spirit, you wicked spirit. That's okay. That's, those are adjectives the Bible uses. Those are clean. Okay, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy from Satan on down. Is what I'm going to say this means, that you've got power on down. But there is a stronger than he... In Luke eleven twenty two, he says, When a stronger one shall come upon him, then he taketh him and his whole armor which he trusted, and he divides the spoils. So if that is referring to the stronger one that's stronger than the strong man, you know, if it's referring to that, when someone stronger comes in and binds the strong man, and these wicked spirits, I mean, they're... I mean, they, they know all the rules. It's like going up against a fighter that's been fighting for years or a chess player that's been playing chess for years. I mean, they are strategically sitting there for you to make this swing so in boxing they can cut you off and give you the, the knockout. You are engaged in spiritual warfare. That's why I'm saying don't provoke your enemy. Don't revile your enemy. Stay in your proper domain. Don't sit there and... <laughs> I don't want you out of ministry in chapter 19. I don't want you in 18 doing something so great that you're Mount Carmel and wow, you call down everything and then Jezebel causes you to fall the next chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, you've cut off 450 prophets of Baal's heads and then suddenly you get yourself in so much demonic warfare because literally when I see kids start doing deliverance, they go to the next realm. It's like a video game. And more people pop out at you, they have bigger weapons, they're shooting. You've got more grace coming at you. You know, you got those little 
Yeah, power-ups. Thank you, <laughs> Christian. <laughs> and more grace is being major and those life-giving things. They'll, they'll think you're dead and God will pop another cookie in your mouth and you're up again for, <laughs> you know. You feel that, but... And we understand that in natural warfare, but I don't think there's just a lot of difference between that and spiritual warfare, except that you've got to realize physical, natural, carnal weapons aren't going to do any good. And I guarantee you the devil are coming at you with carnal weapons. And you've got to overcome him with a sword that's living, mm-hmm. sharper, two-edged. And you've got to beat him at what he's throwing up against you. So, anyway, I've never gone into revilings and proper domains I collect scriptures on it. I'm very interested in the subject. To me, I've seen people, they're off on one end or the other. That's why I like a good, clean deliverance where I'm hearing you. You know your authority. You know who you are. You've got that armor on, and those flaming missiles of the enemy are not going to take you down. But at the same time, you know, you've got people out here that are ignorant that we're training, but I would really caution you, don't teach them goofiness. Don't teach them the goofball thing where people are saying, man, I could beat the devil up. And I'm just like, wow, you're a pastor? (laughs) You know, I don't think you even have really engaged your enemy with any kind of respect to realize we're up against a powerful foe. It's just the greater one lives within us. And our victory has already been assured. I look back at Calvary, and I'm seeing when he cried out, it is finished. My battle is already won. So when I'm going after that demon, I'm going after it from a perspective of this cry in my ear. It is finished. This work is finished. And I mean, I feel like what Michael said, the Lord himself rebuked you. This, I'm just taking what he's done and, and whamming it into you. Your deliverance, he's setting the captives free. It's ridiculous. This ought not be. You shouldn't have had this on you this long. This is a clean deal. Come out. And it's a lot cleaner. It comes out a lot quicker. That's where you'll see the difference between authority and control, witchcraft, revilings, all the other crazy stuff you are going to meet. If the whole world does it wrong, you do it right. Amen. Thank you, John.